Mark Cuban. How you do anything is how you do everything. If you're not, if you don't pay attention to detail on the little things, you're not going to be in the habit of paying attention to detail for the big things. Ken Griffey Jr. Hey, he wears his hat backwards. Well, where my hat backwards because my dad had a fro and I wanted to wear his hat. And if I put his hat on at age six and, you know, he's got a eight and a half and I got like a little five, it's not going to really stay on my head. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. John Smoltz. Is if you don't have the imagination and the willingness to fail or not being afraid to fail, I don't think you can be truly great. Candace Parker. I have had so much hope for this generation coming up that I've grown up with women in sports, in leadership roles, on television, speaking about sports, speaking knowledgeably about sports. Pau Gasol. To me, all the work that I've done, all the humanitarian work that I've done has always given me great perspective, has allowed me to keep my feet on the ground and uh, has really put and reminded me what's truly important. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio, powered by our friends at Molka Sports. Learn more about them at M-A-L-K-A-Sports.com. Another fantastic guest for you lined up this week. A very heavy hitter in the world of tech, sports, media, education. Meg Whitman, managing owner of FC Cincinnati of Major League Soccer. Former CEO of Hewlett Packard. Former president and CEO of eBay. She's joining me on this week's edition of Sports Business Radio. She's going to discuss FC Cincinnati, their new stadium that's opening up here pretty quickly why she invested in Major League Soccer, and what makes Cincinnati a unique sports town. She also discusses what happened with Quibi. You may remember Quibi was a short-form streaming platform that generated content for mobile devices. Whitman was the CEO of Quibi and partnered with media mogul Jeffrey Katzenberg on the venture, so she'll talk about that. The billionaire entrepreneur provides insight on the traits that make for a successful leader, the future of tech, media, and education, and why she's invested in esports. So I think you're going to enjoy this week's conversation with Meg Whitman. I'm joined by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? I'm doing great. And uh, just another great guest, like you were saying. I mean, her resume is just amazing. I mean, you know, eBay and Hewlett Packard and, you know, soccer, MLS teams. It's like goes on forever. And she's just so smart. And you, you realize when you listen to this interview, she's just excited about what she does. She loves what she's doing. She loves the field she's in. And um, she just is so knowledgeable. Really good interview. Well, she's a visionary. She sees things usually before they develop and knows what trends to pay attention to. So I think our audience is going to find today's conversation insightful. All right, let's look at some headlines. Griggs, Thursday, the NFL draft takes place in Cleveland. You may remember last year, we did a big show with Peter O'Reilly from the NFL. First time the draft went virtual. Well, now it's back to being in person. It's in Cleveland. Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, has been vaccinated so he can give people hugs when they are selected and come on stage to shake his hand. The first two picks are pretty much locked. So Trevor Lawrence to Jacksonville, Zach Wilson to the New York Jets. Those are both quarterbacks. Then things get interesting at number three with the 49ers selecting. 
So I think that's where most people are really going to start to pay attention to the draft. ESPN, ABC, and the NFL Network have comprehensive coverage. Griggs, I, I think it's great that it's back in person. There were some elements that worked really well virtually last year. We won't see uh, Bill Belichick's dog Nike sitting at the laptop uh, doing the Patriots draft. There were some cool in-house moments, and I think we'll see some of those but it's mostly going to be uh, in person. Trevor Lawrence, the number one pick, presumably, will not be in Cleveland. He will be with family and friends at a different location away from Cleveland. But Cleveland rocks, too. So, you know, it's cool that they're getting to host this draft. They've waited for this for a long time. Yeah, look, the NFL draft is kind of like its own mini series on HBO. It goes on. There's so much drama, you know, lots of analysts and all the back and forth and go into the different scenes and the different families and the households. And hey, like you said, Roger Goodell can hug people now. I know that was pretty funny when it came out this week. There was all kinds of funny memes about that. Like you have to uh, be able to hug Roger before you can play in the NFL. So we'll see how it goes. But I think overall, it's going to be better to be in person because we all want to see people. We want to see how the reactions are in person. So I'm excited to watch. All right, our next headline, the NHL and Turner have signed a new media rights deal. So the NHL rights revenue, this is according to our friend John Alrand at the Sports Business Journal, it's set to more than double for an average of $625 million a year. They were at $300 million a year. So the old deal, NBC paid $200 million a year. And Disney streaming service paid $100 million a year for that $300 million. The new deal, ESPN, this deal was already announced, pays $400 million a year. And Turner is now going to pay $225 million a year. So no more NBC, no more Disney streaming services. It's ESPN and Turner for the NHL. And if you're Commissioner Gary Batman, you just doubled your media rights and you get probably better, more comprehensive coverage, especially with ESPN, um, and they can do some shows around the NHL coverage. I think it's a great rights revenue deal for the NHL. 100%. And like you said, with Turner, that opens you up to TBS and TNT and like they do with March Madness and the NBA, and it, you can kind of spread it out more. So I think it's going to get a lot more exposure for the NHL. It'll be fun to see how they cross over if they take some of the NBC announcers and some of the play-by-play -play stuff and studio rights and all that stuff and see if they, you know, hire some of that crew for the ESPN and Turner crew. But uh, yeah, big deal. It's going to be weird not seeing NHL on NBC. It's been so many years. All right. Speaking of the NHL, it's time for our Power Up Premium Trail Mix Power Player of the Week. It's none other than San Jose Sharks forward Patrick Marlowe. He passed Gordie Howe for the most NHL games played all time on Monday night. So after tying Howe's all-time mark over the weekend, Marlowe played in his 1,768th contest on Monday in Las Vegas as the Sharks faced off against the Vegas Golden Knights. This is remarkable, Griggs. Marlowe has appeared in at least 80 games 16 times. He has never missed more than six games in a season in his entire NHL career. That's what you call an Iron Man. I tell you what, I mean, you and me kill it on the Central Park ice, but I mean, a thousand games, that's a lot of ice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, almost 2,000 games. So congratulations to Patrick Marlowe on being our Power Up Premium Trail Mix Power Player of the Week. All right, a few reminders before we get to our conversation with Meg Whitman. Subscribe to the Sports Business Radio podcast on iTunes. We love it when you rate and review our podcast. You can also find us on Spotify and Amazon Music. 
Coming up next, Meg Whitman, managing owner of FC Cincinnati of MLS. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This segment of Sports Business Radio is brought to you by Power Up Premium Trail Mix. Forget the stale trail mixes with peanuts, raisins, and junk candy. Power Up is a trail mix brand that specially curates their mixes fresh with good-for-you quality ingredients that power you up with nutrients your body needs and flavors your taste buds crave. These premium trail mixes come in several varieties and can be eaten on the go wherever the day takes you. Fuel up like sports icons Lindsey Horan and the Washington Capitals and find Power Up Nationwide at retailers on Amazon and at PowerUpSnacks.com. My guest is Meg Whitman. She is the former CEO of Hewlett Packard, former president and CEO of eBay. Meg has held executive possessions at Procter and Gamble, Hasbro, DreamWorks, and the Walt Disney Company. She ran for governor of California in 2010. She's now part of the FC Cincinnati ownership group of Major League Soccer. Meg, thanks for joining me on Sports Business Radio. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me this morning. Let's start with the FC Cincinnati ownership group. Uh, I know you've got ties to Cincinnati. How did that all come about and why Major League Soccer? Yeah, well, let's start with why Major League Soccer. So if I back all the way up, we said, you know, we think that we'd like to make an investment in professional sports. If you look at our family office, we had investments in lots of other things, but we didn't have a play in professional sports. And you look at, you know, the appreciation and the success of professional sports over the last 30 years and what is we think will happen in the next 20 or 30 years. We thought, OK, we want to be in this asset class. And then the question is, what sport? So we looked at all the different sports. And as an investor, I like to invest behind trends. You know, it's what I learned early on in my career is if wind is at your back, it's way better than if wind is at your in your face. And uh, so we looked at all the different sports and it was clear to us that the growth story here was major league soccer. And, um, you know, if you look at it, there's 60 million soccer fans in the U.S. The U.S. is the number one buyer of worldwide media rights. Um, We're jointly hosting the World Cup with Mexico and um, one other country in 2028, Canada. And um, we're the number three sport by participation. And um, I think about that because think about all the kids coming up. You know, what we know is whatever you played as a child, you want to watch as an adult. And so if you look at the growth of youth soccer in America, I thought that was also really good. And it's a global sport. You know, MLS could reach 400 million consumers worldwide. So that was the right trends for us. Then the question is, what what team? Mm -hmm. And you're right. I do have a connection. I started my career out of business school at Procter & Gamble in Cincinnati. And I'm now still on the board or on the board. You know, many years later, I'm on the board at at Procter & Gamble. Um, so I knew I knew the city, but I was also very interested in the dynamics of these small markets. Interestingly, in soccer, the small markets do very well. So FC Cincinnati has the third largest attendance in the league, which surprised me, you know, for a small city like Cincinnati, um, an incredible, you know, and passionate fan base. Right. We're the fifth largest revenue uh, soccer team in the United States. And I thought that, you know, we sort of punched beyond uh, ahead of our weight there. Oh, let me turn off my phone. Sorry. And um, so then I said, you know, and then the quality of the ownership group, you know, Carl Lindner and his family, um, our family, um, you know, the Joseph, the Joseph family, the farmer family, which um, owns Cintas. Um, and so you've got actually two Fortune um, 50 CEOs 
in the ownership group. And I thought that, you know, would help us along. So we were able to strike a deal with Carl and his family. And we basically really liked them and shared a lot of the same vision and values. And so that's why Cincinnati. All makes sense. Uh, TQL Stadium, that is set to open to fans very soon. Uh, Gosh, 26,000 seats. And it looks like, uh, you know, just a beautiful stadium, state of the art. When people come to TQL Stadium, what are some of the things that are going to stand out to them? Yeah. Well, first of all, um, we're super excited about TQL because often um, local uh, companies as sponsors of these naming of these naming rights is very very powerful because they're in the community and they you know know the local market. So we're thrilled by our relationship with TQL, which is an entrepreneurial story uh, in and of itself. You know, the company's only been around since 1998 and the second largest freight freight brokerage firm in the country. So that's exciting. Um, And then the the stadium is the largest stadium. It has, um, I think what they'll see right away walking up to the East Plaza is what we call the fins, the LED lights that you may have seen um, the video. And we can certainly get you a video um, that would be fun to, I don't know, put on the website or something. And uh, anyway, the fins light. And so it looks like animation but it's literally the lights changing on the fins. And so we can put FC Cincinnati on the fins. We can put TQL on the fins. We can put player names on the fins. We can do anything we want with those fins. So think about it as a dynamic canvas. Um, The second thing that you'll see is the largest number of premium seats, a very large um, fan base for the core of what we call the Bailey, um, which are the standing fans at the end who are almost often the most boisterous and fun part of going to a soccer game. Um, Lovely suites all modern technology, all touchless, so cashless. um, And cashless payments is important because unlike the NFL where there's TV breaks, there's just breaks, um, there's just a couple of breaks in a soccer game. So you got to get your whole stadium in and out of that food service really fast. So it's all cashless. It's all touchless because of COVID. We were able to retrofit in the context of COVID. And then um, we'll launch with some very attractive apps, you know, an app. So over time, the app will obviously have wayfinding and order from your seats and navigation and all kinds of things like that. So I think you'll feel like it's a pretty high tech stadium. You're as tech savvy as anyone out there. So it's interesting that you mentioned the cashless and the touchless. I've had a number of CEOs and, and pro sports owners on recently. And it seems like during the last year with the pandemic, everyone's you know trying to go cashless, touchless. You have self-cleaning stadiums. Yep. What are some other tech advancements that you've seen that you think are going to hit the sports world going forward in this new normal? Yeah, well, I think um, certainly, you know, wayfinding, um, you know, what, where, how do you get to your seat? Where's the bathroom with the least amount of traffic <laughs> um, right. during, times, you know, during a break? How do you order from your seat? Because I think that's going to be important as well. Now, that's that's kind of stable table stakes in some ways. Obviously, very high bandwidth is important because you're going to have a crowd of, of people who are, um, and we have, you know, state-of-the-art network with 5G because fans want to do replays. They want to do social media. They want to text with their friends. So that's table stakes, too. I think most new stadiums have that, but it needs to be bulletproof. That network needs to be bulletproof. And uh, so I think everyone is, is certainly, you know, understanding that's something that's going to be very, very important. Meg, I know Kroger is big in the Cincinnati area and they're partners with FC Cincinnati. 
And Power Up Premium Tramlex is, is one of our partners. And I know they're a big partner of FC Cincinnati. How did that partnership all come about? Yeah. Well, Kroger's a local company, you know, headquartered in Cincinnati. Um, and uh, so there was a natural fit there. And uh, so there's a great deal of interest, obviously, in consumer packaged goods. And one of the companies I know they're excited about is, uh, is the Power Up Premium Tramlex. And so they are a partner and, uh, you know, they've got a healthy brand. They've got a great brand positioning. We think it's a really good fit with FC Cincinnati. And they've got great brand ambassadors who are going to do activations in the, in the stadium. What do we need to do to see more women owners in sports? <laughs> uh, you know, not only in Major League Soccer, but across the sports landscape. I've had Jeannie Buss on this show and, yeah. you know, others. But we need more women owning sports teams, what needs to happen for for that to take place? Yeah. Well, I think professional sports has always been more male than female. That's starting to change. If you look at the fan base of male versus female fan bases, you know, what isn't it the NFL now? I think almost 50-50 in terms of television viewing. Yes. And if you had told me that, you know, when I was a little girl, I mean, I would have been amazed. Um, So I think you're starting to see real, um, you know, now female fan bases. Which then, you know, as those female fans grow up and are successful, um, then they think, well, gee, you know, like when I grew up, I never thought I would own a professional sports team. It never occurred to me, right? You know, um, I graduated from college in 1977. I mean, I never would have thought of that. Um, But now it's a different world. The other thing that's interesting is all these women's teams are starting to get traction. You know, the um, NWSL, you know, the uh, Women's Soccer League. Yes. That's, you know, starting to come on. So I think you'll you'll start to see more women owners. Um, and then, you know, but by the way, the Cincinnati group is all women for MLS. Dee Haslam is a woman owner in Columbus. I'm a woman owner in Cincinnati. So, you know, there's more than there have been in the past. So when you go to the governor's meeting, there's more women than there probably would have been 30 years ago or that's even 10 good. years ago. That's good to hear, but I'm sure more more progress to be made still. More progress to be made always, but. You talked a little bit about Cincinnati as a as a sports market, the Bengals, and and you know you've got Xavier University there, you've got the Reds, obviously. For people listening to this who've never been to Cincinnati, never been to a sports event in Cincinnati, what kind of a, a fan base is Cincinnati? Yeah, well, as you might remember, the Big Red Machine was all the rage, you know, right. a number of years ago, and the Bengals have been there forever, and uh, and they're big into college sports. I mean, just up the road, you know, in Dayton and Columbus, you know, football is a huge thing. So it's a it's a sports state, frankly. And Cincinnati is particularly has an avid fan base. And what was interesting to us about Cincinnati is remember, FC Cincinnati was a USL team before we moved up to the um, MLS. And um, we had I'll, I'll give you the statistics because I wrote it down. It was quite remarkable. We had 6000 season tickets in 2016, 18000 in 2018 and 20,000 for 2019. These are season tickets. And that was the first year in MLS. So I think this is a soccer excited town. And I think it's partly because of the values that we put out there. You know, we want to be a winning team. We have not yet been a winning team in MLS. We have to go so fast from USL to MLS. So we're excited about a couple of the new players that we've, you know, found this year to, to join the team. But we want to be a winning team. We want to be a family friendly team. And we want to give back to the community. So we have embedded ourselves in the community. We've got lots of youth sports, uh, youth soccer teams that we're sponsoring. We're doing a a big foundation that will give back to the community. 
And I think particularly for sports, which is a big uniter of people, I mean, in a country that's terribly divided today, you know, sports brings us together. And I think being giving back to the community is a really important part of it. I want to ask you about your investment in esports because yeah. in addition to FC Cincinnati, yeah. you're also invested in esports. That's growing too. Wow. I mean, I look at that projectile over the last five years and, and where it's going. What attracted you to esports? Yeah. Well, the same thing. Remember my story about investing in Pine Trends? Yes. This trend, this trend is unbelievable. I mean, yeah. um, just a couple of statistics 2.5 billion gamers worldwide, 500 million esports viewers. 140 million future gamers are born annually. So lots of runway. And uh, 60% of gamers are 18 to 34, which is, you know, the most important audience for sponsors and advertisers, highly educated, relatively high income level. And the engagement, Brian, is off the charts, two to three hours of playing time a day and five hours of watching a day. So you've got highly engaged, fast growing um, spot. And uh, believe it or not, the baby boomers have sort of come on. Everyone thought this was totally a young person sport. Right. But 60% increase in baby boomers playing um, games since 2018. So, you know, my buddies and I are, are now, uh, now playing, playing games. <laughs> so that's what I was going to ask you. Are you playing? And if so, like, what are you playing? I, uh, you know, I'm a beginner. Um, okay. I'm just a beginner. I, okay. I play Fortnite. <laughs> You're ahead of me. You know, I had the late David Stern on with me uh, a few years ago. And what he said to me, and I would probably agree with this, is he said, esports is not my thing, but I recognize it is a thing. So I yeah. recognize it's a thing. But to be honest with you, you know, I'm just not, I don't understand it well enough and, and I don't have enough. Well, you can start, you know, you can have a warm up act. I mean, you could play Candy Crush. That you could do. Okay. <laughs> so that's where I could start, Candy Crush. You could start Candy Crush, <laughs> and uh, yeah, which is really the beginners. Um, okay. And then, uh, and then you can, you know, move on to real games, of which Fortnite is a real game. But it's easy to understand and easy to get started. It's amazing. I see these venues being built all over the world for esports. And, you know, so we just talked about FC Cincinnati's venue. Esports venues are being built around the globe, too. And these are large venues. So, again, it shows you the trend and where it's going. This investment wouldn't be made unless people thought this was going to be even bigger than it is already. You're right. Absolutely right. Um, And, you know, people love to come and watch esports which was interesting to me when we first got into this four or five years ago, I said, no, wait a second. People are going to want to, uh, they're casual gamers. They're going to want to come to a location and watch the best in the world play esports. It was a little counterintuitive to me, but then I thought, I don't know if you're a golfer, you like to watch golf. If you're a tennis player. You like to watch tennis. If you're a soccer player. You like to watch soccer. So, you know, when I thought about it that way, I said, hmm, okay, well then, you know, that, that makes more sense to me. Other than trends, and the wind blowing behind you. Yeah. What are some of the elements that you look for when someone comes to you and says, hey, make an investment in my company? Yeah. Well, obviously the financial architecture, you know, what's the economic model? And, you know, so where do the revenues come from and what is, what are they likely to do? You know, some parts of the revenue streams may be growing, some may be shrinking. Um, How much in professional sports, how much of those revenue streams do you own? One of the reasons we're excited to own the stadium and own the parking around the stadium and own some of the real estate around the stadium is those are important revenue streams as well. Um, and then you have to look at what are the costs because in the end, it may take a while, but in the end, revenues have to be greater than costs. 
Right. You know, I'm, I'm sort of an old fashioned business person. And uh, so, you know, we want to run these teams. You know, we may lose some money in the early days, but we'd like to run them, um, you know, at making some money. And then obviously, you know, the, the capital gains is, is probably, you know, where the real payoff is. But um, you have to look at the financial architecture. Then the next thing is who is running the club and um, who do you have? Because I believe in any business, a really important character of great leaders is they hire great leaders. So I always say the right people in the right job at the right time with the right attitude gets you 80% of the way home. And one of the things we like very much in addition to the ownership group is Jeff Birding is a founder and the president of FC Cincinnati. And I think he's very talented and that's put a talented group around him. That's great. So I want to talk a little bit of business with you. You've led sure. some incredible companies. I mentioned them at the top of this interview. Um, what makes for a good leader? You're talking about you know, the leader of FC Cincinnati. Obviously, yeah. you're a tremendous leader. We have a lot of leaders who listen to this show. What makes for a good leader? Yeah. Well, I think, first of all, having some experience. Experience actually does matter. You know, um, I often say, you know, and, and this was particularly true at HP and at, at eBay because I went to eBay when I was 42. So I had some experience. I said, you know, I have seen this movie before and I know how it's going to end unless we do something differently. So I do think domain experience is important. The second is the ability to identify, nurture and grow great talent. As I was just saying, you need to be a talent attractor of people who are smarter, better and have a ton of runway. And you can't be threatened by people who are smarter than you or know more about something than you do. The second thing I would say, I think importantly, is having the right strategy. I often say the right strategy and less than perfect execution is far better than the wrong strategy, but with perfect execution. And our world is so dynamic today, Brian, that you've got to be moving your strategy and thinking through what you need to be doing differently at a much more rapid rate than you know in, in the history of business, honestly. I was reading a statistic the other day that it took, I think, 60 years for HP to reach a billion dollars in sales. It took Microsoft 10 years and it took Google five years, mm. right? So these companies are, are, you're getting to scale much faster and that means you've got to be really thinking about your, your strategy. So I think that's super important. And then the second is you've got to keep an eye on the financial architecture. You have to understand, how do I make money in this business? And the old 80-20 rule, 20% of your activity will get you 80% of the way home. Probably 20% of your customers account for 80% of your revenue. The 80-20 rule is alive and well in every single business. And the intuitive understanding of what that is, I think, is important. And then last is you have to take some risks, right? Not everything is knowable. And you have to take smart risks. But um, doing nothing is a strategy. And it's usually a bad strategy. You have to keep moving. It's, um, you know how sharks, they die if they don't keep moving. And so you got to keep moving. And if you make a mistake, you fix it really fast. Um, but you have to take you have to take smart bets and smart risks. You are also someone who's on the forefront of media trends. Um, I'm so fascinated to see where the media is going, um, especially in the last year. Again, during the pandemic, we've seen growth of streaming platforms. You know, Netflix, Apple, HBO Max. All these platforms are growing. Cable is declining a little bit. What are your thoughts on, you know, five years from now, how are we going to be consuming media? Yeah, well, media is undergoing some of the biggest disruption I think most people in that industry have seen in decades. I mean, this is a huge, gigantic, seismic shift. Um, 
And I would argue it is as seismic as the invention, the, the invention of the movie camera and wow. the advent of movies. I think it is as seismic as the invention of TV. Remember, think about TV. Everyone thought TV was not, you know, you had to go buy a piece of furniture for your room. Okay. <laughs> and, and so think about the change in consumer habits that was required there. I think this is the next enormous change in media, which is streaming. And what consumers are, I think now, they want to watch what they want to watch, where they want to watch it, on the device they want to watch it. And so it's it's up to all the content providers to make sure that we are making that level of flexibility available in an easy and intuitive way. And I think, frankly, this will get a lot more intuitive over time. Um, you know, I don't know about you. I, I think for our generation, you know, when you go to a new place with a new TV, it takes you a while to figure out how to navigate. You know, they ask you for your credentials. You know, they ask you for all these different things that you're not necessarily being used to being asked for. And so I do think um, that this has to get much more intuitive and, and frankly, much more standardized. Um, but I think for sports in particular, that ability to provide your audience that flexibility with very high quality production values and with storytelling wrapped around, you know, um, people love the stories of the players and they love the backstory of the team and the backstory of controversy. And so I think there's going to be more emphasis on the storytelling um, uh, in addition to the excitement of the game per se. And listen, there's a lot of new players, right? You know, it used to be just the, you know, big three networks. Now you've got um, big conglomerates that have, you know, multiple different ways of delivering content to, to players. And I do think the competition for these sports rights is going to continue to increase. Because remember what I said, that sports are still the big uniter. And um, I think, you know, so I think the co- the, the uh, competition is going to be significant for these rights. Look at the NFL deal. Right. So, you know, Amazon jumped in with some NFL games, Thursday night yep. games. Thursday night. Mm-hmm. And I would think at some point, Apple, Netflix, some of these big streaming services, like you said, it's, it's live content. It's a great uniter. Um, I, this isn't live sports, but one of my favorite shows of the last year is Ted Lasso on Apple plus. Yeah. Um, so just that alone, people have really rallied around that show, but I agree with you. I, I think it's only a matter of time until these streaming platforms are showing live sports on their platforms. Yeah. Well, I think then the question is, do, do they have to, um, you know, it's a little bit back in the day when people said, would bricks and mortar also be really good at e-commerce because you had two ways to deliver product. Okay. So, you know, Walmart now is, I think, doing very well because you can buy a product in the store. You can pick up in the store. You can order online. You can have it order online and then pick up in the store. So they're really trying to, no matter which way you want to buy, you can buy. And so the question is, will you know, the media companies that have a streaming service and a network and a, you know, cable channel and others, will they be better positioned or will the pure plays be better positioned? I think we don't know the answer to that yet. A few years ago, uh, I was at the Bloomberg Players Tech Summit in San Francisco and I saw you on stage there and I thought yeah. you, were, you were great. And you were talking about Quibi and, and yep. I really liked Quibi. I really did. And I thought you were on to something there. I'm an entrepreneur too, not at the same level as you. Uh, I've had Mark Cuban on, lots of entrepreneurs. Sometimes we try things and they simply don't work. I thought that was going to work and I thought the timing was good and I loved what you had to say that day on stage. What were some of the lessons learned from that? Because again, from where I sit, I I thought that was a brilliant idea. 
Well, thank you. We did too, obviously. <laughs> um, yeah, I think a couple of things. One is, um, you know, I would not necessarily recommend that you launch a mobile on-the-go app that was designed for Hollywood content on your mobile phones in the middle of a pandemic. Right. Right. Because our use case was mobile on the go while you were waiting in line for a cup of coffee at Starbucks, while you were commuting, while you were, you know, waiting for, you know, people to arrive for a meeting, things like that. Our whole use case was compromised. Now, what we don't know is how much was the use case and how much was just the wrong product market fit. I suspect it was a little bit of both. Um, but this is where data and analytics and experience. Remember, I said I'd seen the movie before. Right. I think paid off because we saw that we were compromised and that this was not working the way we had initially hoped. And we looked at the data and we said to ourselves, you know, we could run this out and spend the rest of the money, or we could say, you know, this is not the right time. There may be another time for this, but this is not the right time in the middle of the pandemic. And let's give, um, let's return cash to shareholders. And that's the ultimately the decision that Jeffrey Katzenberg and I made. And um, that we, you know, we're very careful to communicate to our production partners, to our investors. We took care of our employees and, you know, now are in the process of returning funds to shareholders. So super disappointing, crushing in many ways because we were so excited about it. But, you know, you just, I just think we, we drew a bad hand with timing and it might not have worked anyway, but I don't know that we'll ever really know. Um, and if you told me that the pandemic would be over in two to three months, you know, like maybe in January, Maybe we would have kept going. Look at here we are still today, not all the way through this. And uh, so I think it was a very difficult decision. But actually, as I look back on it, I think the right one. I'll just say again, uh, I think it was a brilliant idea. I think you were a little too early. And who knew a pandemic was coming, right? Like no, no one could have predicted that. But sort of a I, black I, swan event. <laughs> right. Before I let you go, uh, you and your husband, Dr. Griff Harsh, are so charitable and mm. have given millions of dollars to charity uh, via your foundation. I'll ask you the same question that I asked you about investment. When you're giving to charity, what are some of the elements under consideration for you and your husband? I'm sure a lot of it's passion, but uh, what else comes into play there? Yeah. Well, I think particularly with charitable giving, focus is really important because You've got, to, you've got to be so knowledgeable today about a certain area or areas. And so we picked two areas for our Travelable Foundation. One is education and the other is the environment. And education, we're particularly focused on K-12 education because we asked ourselves if we could make a difference to one thing over the next couple of decades, what would it be? There's so many challenges, racial injustice, economic inequality you know, so many different things. And we said, gosh, if we could solve getting every child access to a great education, a lot of those other problems might go away. And then we care a lot about climate change and the environment. And my husband um, is on the board of EDF. I used to be on the board of the Nature Conservancy. So those are the two areas that we really focus on. And I'm chairman of Teach for America nationally. So that's, that's how I exhibit my passion for K through 12 beyond just the financial support. I saw that and I had former uh, Secretary of Education Arnie Duncan on a few weeks ago and we talked about education and I have a daughter who's 16 is in high school and I've seen you know, the last year a lot of education has gone virtual. It's just now starting to go back where it's either hybrid or you're returning to school. This, I mean, you talked earlier about the media and it being a pivotal time for media going forward. I believe it's the same way for education. 
going forward? Are we going to reimagine education going forward? Or are we going to do it the way that we've done it for a long time? How yeah. do you see education being reimagined going yeah. forward? Yeah, I think we have a once in a generation opportunity behind us. Um, because what this pandemic has taught us, and I'm sure has taught your daughter, is that there's a lot of ways to get information. And we cannot just arrange our classrooms the way we have arranged them for the last 100 years. Our, our education system was designed to produce factory workers. Hmm. Um, and it did a brilliant job of that for many, many years. But think about the skills that children need today as they go into you know, multiple careers over a generation, a lot more critical thinking. Um, you know, it's going to be a, a different thing that we have to imagine. And we also saw that the pandemic exposed even greater inequalities in education. And today, you know, your zip code is the most determinant uh, variable in the quality of your education, where you live. And, uh, and that's not fair and it's not right. And so we have to figure out how to reimagine education from certainly, you know, the, the ABCs and one, two, threes, but also you know, are we creating an environment where kids have the confidence, where they're getting the support they need socially, where um, it's the whole child that we're thinking about? And that's a new way of thinking about it, because it was really for many years, you know, everyone comes in and they're ready to learn and they got their workbook and they're ready to go. That's not the way it is anymore. Last question for you. What lies ahead? You have so many interesting things that you're doing, but is there anything out there that you're keeping your eye on? You know, we talked about esports. We just talked about your role yeah. with Teach America. Is there anything you're keeping your eye on saying, I really want to be a part of that going forward? Yeah. Well, I continue to be very interested in technology. You know, I think technology in many ways was the defining industry of my generation. I think it will be the defining industry of the next generation. And every business now is a technology business. I mean, I think of FC Cincinnati as a technology and data analytics business. We're going to be better because of the technology and the data analytics that we're going to apply to, to this business. And so if you think about technology and all the different areas that it can go, I think that, you know, those are areas I want to keep an eye on, whether it's machine learning or AI. You know, sports betting is a pretty interesting talk about investing behind trends. You know, some people have challenges around betting in terms of, you know, is that a good thing for society? But I think it's, you know, there's an inevitable march towards sport betting. Sports betting would be my guess. So I'm, you know, focused on, um, you know, that. And then I'm focused on, on industries that, uh, you know, disrupt status quo in a good way. I, I like to call it constructive, um, you know, disruption. Meg, continued success to you. And thanks so much for joining me on Sports Business Radio. Great. Thank you very much, Brian. Good to be with you. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. Sports Business Radio host Brian Berger here. The wait is finally over. Sports Business Radio merchandise has finally arrived. We're working with our friends at the Parish Project to provide you with the opportunity to buy really quality Sports Business Radio merchandise We've started with long sleeve t-shirts and short sleeve t-shirts. They come in five different colors, each a variety of sizes. I love my shirts. And soon we're going to have hoodies to offer as well. Hooded sweatshirts. I know a lot of you are wearing hooded sweatshirts while you're working from home these days, but whether you're working out, just lounging around the house or doing whatever you're doing, you can rock sports business radio merchandise. I think you're going to love it. Go to parishproject.com. That's P A R 
P-A-R-I-S-H project.com, parishproject.com. And you can order your sports business radio merchandise today. We appreciate your support. And uh, send us your best picture. Tweet it to us at SB Radio. Or also you can get us on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. We look forward to seeing you rocking that Sports Business Radio merchandise. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. And thanks to our partner, Molka Sports, for powering Sports Business Radio. Learn more about them online at molkasports.com. That's M-A-L-K-A sports.com. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions, griggsproductions.com.